enough. Um, I want to bring the word this morning. I want to continue from what I started a couple of weeks ago um, from Romans 12. And um, we're, we're going to continue. I did verse 1. I'm going to be verse 2 today. But um, we had Pastor Joseph last week talking about holding the line. And it really struck me that there's, there's something about those characters that he talked about that had something about them. You know, that, that character about them. I tell you, I want to be someone who has that kind of character. So thank you, Pastor Joseph, for bringing that message to us last week. So um, my main scripture, and I'm talking about how we can develop that character. It says this, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I think when we become a Christian, some things in our life change. Do you agree that there's a transformation that takes place where our old life is left behind and we become this new creation. We become part of a new family of God. And there are character changes that instantly mark us out as different from the world, but other things seem to take time and process and we have to develop. And I spoke last week, uh, two weeks ago, how we can worshipfully present ourselves By the mercies of God, we worshipfully present ourselves. And then we go into verse 2, and it further develops the idea of a godly character, what it means to be the new creation, what it means to renew our mind and our way of thinking. You see, the approach of some Christians as to how they should live can fall into several different categories. You've got the legalistic ones, that love the rules, they want the set of rules, they want to follow the letter of the law. And then you've got the other end, which are like these spiritual spontaneous people who just, I'll go where the flow takes me. I'll I'll decide what's right and wrong and spontaneous in the moment kind of thing. But I think as we grow and mature in our relationship with Christ, we begin to employ a different way of thinking. For instance, I was speaking to someone just this week who was relaying their conversion experience with and comparing it to their friend. He said, my friend, when he got, he got saved, he accepted Christ. You know, he went from swearing, sort of bad, foul language all the time, and instantly, do you know what I mean? Everything was changed. He just dropped all those words from his vocabulary. It, it wasn't any effort. It just happened. God took hold of him. And he said, I wish I was like that sometimes, because that's some area I continue to struggle And I think it can be like that, can't it? There's some areas that God just takes hold of you and there's other areas where you know, I have to think through and I have to develop something and and mature in my relationship with Christ. And we'd love our whole life instantly to be changed the moment we're converted and our minds are changed, our hearts are changed. But Paul in this scripture is talking about a renewed mind, implying maybe there's some kind of process that's going on here. And he talks of how being a non-conformist, having a non-conformist attitude towards the world and the way things are done in the world 
can speak to a new Christian mindset. So Paul spends his time on the idea of if you want to know what the will of God or the plan of God for your life is, one, you need to come out of the world's way of thinking and you need to begin to renew your mind. And this is what Paul's doing, is spending time developing your godly character to decide what's right and wrong, rather than just listing out a set of rules. Because the principles by which we live by flow out of God's mercy, out of our salvation by grace, out of our baptism into Christ, out of the death of our old life, into the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, the character begins to develop as we form new habits. Your mind like your muscles, can grow. You can exercise them. You can exercise your mind. You can develop new neural pathways like you would develop new muscles. Training is often required and requires um, physical effort to develop those muscles. But you develop along with the intrinsic knowledge of God in your life as that grows. And that intrinsically, what we intrinsically value And what becomes second nature to us ethically moves us in the right direction. So we know how to behave or why we behave the way we behave is because we're part of this new creation. And as new created, flourishing human beings, we're meant to be different from the world around us. Therefore, Paul is urging us to think through from the first principles what it means to live in this new age, the new age that was brought about by the death and resurrection and the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. These things ushered in the kingdom of God as we know it. Of course, it's not fully. We're waiting for that still. But it's here. And as you begin to think in this way, think what it means to be a new creation. Think what it means to be non, non, not conformed to this world and begin to equip yourself as God's people. And as you equip yourself, you're beginning to develop a character that you know what to do on a particular topic or ethical matter, but also for every other question you might encounter. This is what Paul is doing. is helping his followers to think as new creations, to think as new beings, as he's bringing in the kingdom of God, developing us as citizens of heaven. Paul's not just teaching religion religion and ethics, but Paul is someone that believes right to his core that at last God is fulfilling his promises. At last God is launching this new age upon the world. And we are the new we are agents of this new life, bringing in God's kingdom. Isn't this what Jesus taught? To us to pray, to bring in kingdom principles, to bring in a new understanding a new way of thinking, a new relationship with God that defines who we are and who we are becoming as, we, as our minds are transformed and renewed and we're different to the world around us. We live by a different set of standards. By the mercies of God, we endeavor to live a life that is according to God's good, perfect and acceptable will. That's my introduction. My first point is this, the legalistic attitude, you know, the letter of the law, you know, from a well-known TV program. That's the letter of the law. That's my Irish accent for you there. Um, But there's a well-known saying, isn't there? The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And I believe there's a spiritual life that is highly recommended rather than 
rather than following a form of religion and denying the power of God. A form of religion that relies upon legalism to keep people in line. But Paul, especially in Galatians, suggests a different way. There's a life you can live according to your flesh, which is all about self-improvement. Or there's a life you can live by the Spirit, which is spiritual improvement. But there is still, uh, to, there is still a need to align ourselves with the purposes of God and have our minds filled with good things. Yeah, so it's not just being legalistic, but it's being spirit-led. And the writer of Hebrews talks about the difference between the old law, where there was a sacrificial system, where that's how your conscience was cleansed and restored, by the sacrificial system. And it says, I'll read it, in Hebrews 10, verse 1 to 3. It says, the law was having a shadow of good things to come. You know, uh, 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 we don't want to be a shadow of our former selves. We want to be a shadow of our future selves. Do you love that? We're a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of things. These can never, these same sacrifices, which they offered continually year by year, could never make those who approach perfect, for then they would have ceased to be offered, for worshippers once purified would have no more consciousness of their sins." See, under the system, because of their sacrifices, their, their conscience was clear for a year. And some who view religion as just legalistic, ritualistic, you know, can get under the weight and guilt of their sin until the next time. Until the next time they offer a prayer. Until the next time they get on their knees. The view can be that they are only forgiven until the next time they repent. Or they're only forgiven until the next time they're judged or they're punished. But those who are led by the Spirit have a revelation of the grace of God. And don't live with the mindset that they're always conscious of their sin. They live with the mindset that they're always conscious of God. I tell you, where you orientate your life towards, that's where you will go. If you're always self-conscious rather than being God-conscious, then you're going to struggle. But some you know, have even built a ministry around this. The idea that we can delve into the past to find out what past sin in your life has, has consequences to bring you where you are today. I tell you, if I delve into my past sin, you know what I see? I see the cross. I see the handwriting requirements of the law that was charged against me nailed to the cross. That's what I see. If you want to delve into my past and see problems, you'll find them. Perhaps even in my present, you'll find them. But I know the cross. I know the resurrection. And there's this thing, isn't there? You know Christ was crucified for our sin but at the same time, we were there with him. That's my past. My past is that I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live my old life. I live the new life in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're led by the Spirit. That's what I was talking about. I get off topic here. The word repentance. You know, people say, well, you know, people just need to repent. But the word repentance is key in our approach to Christ because it means a change of mind. And if our mind is constantly in battle about what we believe, whether we believe this or if we fail to trust God, 
You know, one of the areas that we can fall most commonly is that we fail to trust in God. And if you're not trusting in God, then yeah, you need to change your way of thinking. Repent and believe. I think those two come together. You know, that's a one action. Repent and believe. What are you repenting of? You're repenting of not trusting in God and changing our minds to the way we think about ourselves. I'll continue in Hebrews. Because he makes it clear that Jesus paid for our sin once and for all time. He says this, Every day the priests stand and do their religious services and offer the same sacrifices, but those sacrifices cannot take away sin. But with one Sacrifice, he, that's Christ, made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Holy means separated. The Holy Spirit tells us about this. First he says, this is the agreement or covenant that I will make with them, says the Lord. I will put my teachings in their heart and write them on their minds. And he says, their sins and their evil things they do, I will remember no more. And when these things have been forgiven, there's no more need for a sacrifice of sin. You see how God's teachings, how his covenant agreement are indelibly, is that the right word? Printed on our hearts and on our minds. The sacrificial system is no longer required because people know in their hearts what is right. And out of that knowing in their hearts, they live accordingly. And this, Hebrews says, is by the Holy Spirit. Which brings me to my second point about a fruitful spirit life. In Galatians, as I mentioned, Paul talks about the various vices of the flesh and the very virtues of the spiritual fruit and those who are led by the Spirit as opposed to the walk in their flesh. And he reiterates again and again, this is by grace of God. Our justification is by faith in Christ and not by the law. So he says this, live by the Spirit, I say. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. Isn't that interesting the way it words that one? But you're led by the spirit, then you're not subject to the law. If you led by your flesh, these works are obvious. It says, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, which is promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, not fractions, that's something you do in maths, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, it's an old-fashioned word, isn't it, and things like this. And I warned you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, he says, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of God's Spirit in your life. Fruit is singular. It's interesting, isn't it? There's one fruit, and that fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit and not conceited, competing against one another or envying one another. You know, there's a why in the why we live. We have to understand that why. And to be guided by the Spirit isn't this whimsical, see where it takes me. But it's also not of Old Testament law, one of legalism. But it's a life that's been crucified. It's a life energized with spiritual empowerment. It's a one that does not rely upon their flesh and their self, but it's dependent on the Spirit. The virtues Paul mentions here are given by the Spirit. 
But they do require us to line up our lives and allow us to be led by the Spirit. You know, there is action on our behalf. There is a development. There are things here that, yes, they are given by the Spirit, but there's something that we have to put into practice. I was watching, um, how many watched Pride and Prejudice? We, we watch it all the time to the point I can quote it sometimes. And there's this wonderful scene, isn't there, when uh, Elizabeth's on the piano and Darcy comes over in his pomp and, you know, and, he start, and she starts telling him, doesn't she, t- telling her friend, you know, about how Darcy's all arrogant and prideful and he wouldn't dance the dance when they were supposed to dance the dance. Anyone remember this scene? And he says, I don't feel qualified. I feel ill-qualified to recommend myself to strangers. And uh, he says, but you're a man of education and of sense, Elizabeth says. And then um, um, she says, I don't play this piano as well as I ought, but I consider that my own fault because I don't take time to practice. (laughs) You know, so real back at you, there's a practice in developing your character. And Darcy's reply, he says, you know, anyone that's heard you play the piano can not accuse you of that. You've spent your time elsewhere. You know, so it's that, I, that fun example, I guess, of the differing views of character development. You know, he didn't have to be so prideful and arrogant if he'd just put those things into practice where her natural talent, she didn't have natural talent of playing piano, but Darcy, he makes his excuses. You know, there's some things in our lives that we need to orient ourselves towards. If you want to be proficient at playing the piano, yes, you need to put the time and the effort in. And if you want to converse easily with strangers, Liza Beth would say, then you need to put the effort into doing so. We believe that there's, a, there's the grace of God on your life. And all these things are surrounded by God's grace. And we're saved by grace through faith. And you know, the Holy Spirit is there to enable us to be these new creations, to develop the godly character that God wants us to have, to renew our minds. You know, it's interesting, one of the fruits of the Spirit that doesn't seem to fit with all the rest is self-control. Self-control. The Spirit is going to help you in your areas of self-control. So we understand. I'm closing. We understand that we're new creations. We understand old things are passed away. We understand that our mind is being renewed and we start to think the way God thinks. And people who are in the process of developing their character understand that sometimes there's pain in that process. Some look to the event and say, if there's only an event, if only someone, one of these mighty preachers would lay their hands on me and cast out this uh, you know, uh, work of my flesh... Some have looked to other things to develop their character. When God says, listen, you've got to think differently. And to think differently, you've got to develop some things in your life. You've got to start to mature. And it begins with you being led by the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, I labor until Christ is formed or manifest in you. And he writes of himself that Christ has become Christ has begun a good work and he will complete it. See, our salvation begins with a decision, but our character change can often be more a process than an event. The moment we say yes to Jesus Christ, we leave our old life behind in repentance and we begin our new journey. And whilst we'd love everything to be instantly done, the characteristics of the, fruits of the, the fruit of the Spirit 
need to be walked out in our lives. Our scripture today, Paul is talking about a renewed mind, non-conformist to the world around us, to the surrounding Roman culture that he's writing to. And I think we can adapt some of that to today. But Paul speaks to a Christian mindset, a new creation mindset. Paul spends more time on talking about why we do what we do. Why do we act this way? Because we're a new creation. Because we're part of God's people. And this begins with our baptism. It begins with our baptism into Christ. It begins with the death of our old life. It begins with our resurrection to being that new creation. And it continues with the enabling of the power of the Holy Spirit as our character is developed and we begin to form new habits, practice new skills and begin to not only intrinsically value things but also add them as second nature. Developing that godly character will help us for whatever we're going to encounter in life. You know, Paul really believed that God was at last doing something new, that something in history had changed, that old things had gone, and God was bringing in and fulfilling his promises from generations ago to usher in God's kingdom where God himself is king on the throne. And that's where we are today. We're in that same dispensation where, you know, there is the kingdom of God here and we are agents of the kingdom of God. We're part of this new family and we're meant to bring in God's kingdom. And we do that by exercising the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and to the lives around us. This new creation, this new life is the way that we know what is God's will, what is good, acceptable and perfect and we live as people whose minds are being renewed so we think differently and we live by a different standard by the mercies of God we endeavour to live a life according to the good perfect and acceptable will of God, Amen Amen Let's invite the band up, we're going to sing our our final song Aren't we a wonderful band? Yeah. Let's just pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you have forgiven our sins. Thank you, Jesus, you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us a new life in your spirit. And help us, Lord, as we walk in the ways that you've called us to walk, as we develop new things within us, Lord, as we develop our godly character that we may be led by your spirit in Jesus name Amen